part of what we did with our um, with our sustainability verification is we, we sort of changed the definition of what is responsible sourcing. Uh, because nice. we, we, once we fixed all these once we fixed all these methodological challenges, we found that there are a lot of issues out there. In fact, we've we've done a statistical sample of about seven million farms out there. I don't think we've yet found a farm that actually um, meets all 30 standards. Welcome to the Daily Coffee Pro by Map It Forward, friends. I'm your host, Lee Safar, and today on the podcast is our final episode of the series with David Browning from Inveritas. Today we are talking regenerative agriculture um, and the next frontier of that. So, t- David, tell us about what Inveritas is doing with regards to regenerative agriculture. Well, one of the things we didn't talk about in the, in the previous podcast, but along the way, as we were solving other problems, we we also um, uh, sort of retweaked and re-engineered how agronomy um, um, training could, could get provided mm-hmm. to farmers, and and worked out how to increase the quality and lower the cost again. Uh, with something that was a little, was a little bit counterintuitive, and that was to add a layer of management. When whenever you you know, think about reducing costs, you, you might instantly leap to well, we've got to get rid of layers. But in, in this case, actually what what turned out to be more effective was to have um, really strong agronomists, but but give them more leverage, give them uh, effectively more span. And so adding in this additional layer so that their really great advice could reach more farmers. It took more work because now you've got a bigger management pyramid, but it ended up being much more cost effective and allowed us to... Um, uh, to be able to uh, to do good work, and that that agronomy, we eventually worked out a model where we could get thirty to fifty percent uh, increases in yield um, by doing an eighteen month training program. So the the training program itself was not um, it wasn't particularly revolutionary. It was probably the same things that an agronomist might have gone to a farm to talk in the nineteen fifties. So it was you know, like pruning and weeding and mulching. Uh, but working out how to do that uh, at scale, um, that was where really the magic of uh, the teams um, that um, that I've led, they, they really shone and they worked out how to, and again, I, I, I uh, wouldn't, wouldn't even try and take credit for how they re-engineered that and built it, but they, uh, to, to build a system which could do agronomy training at scale effectively and get 30 to 50% uh, yield increases which is important because uh, not only does that change farmers' lives, but it turns out that that is, that is actually an incredibly high return on investment. Mm. I mean, a philanthropic dollar spent, uh, it is more effective to do that than to give, for example, an unconditional cash transfer. Um, mm. It's more, uh, it's it's better than um, school feeding lunches or a host of other things. And one of the things I did along the way was was I, I was very curious about what is the best way we can spend money. We, we're trying to work in this issue of poverty, but there's scarce resources. So I was constantly looking for, uh, for a given amount of philanthropic dollars, how can we best use that to make a change to people's lives? And um, and it turned out this agronomy program was 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 a real hit. Now, um, while this was happening, the world was was coming to uh, regenerative agriculture, which a lot of you mm-hmm. you listening. Um, uh, would have heard about and it it seems to promise uh, this exciting new destination which seems to take care of helping farmers increase their income while also helping the environment and taking care of carbon footprints um, 
so it's it's not uh, it's, so it's understandable that that it's incredibly um, uh, it's, it's got a lot of excitement. A lot of the big companies have, have taken that on board and they're setting very large goals around that. Um, and you, if you go to any sort of um, coffee conference, you'll you'll sort of hear hear it on people's lists, at lips. Um, and so we have been um, diving into that um, space to understand what would that actually mean and how how could you actually make that work. But bringing to it all of this knowledge that's been built up about uh, because part of part of this process is rejuvenation and that, that's a part of this regenerative agricultural um, promise, which is how can you take care of the land, take care of the environment, take care of the, the, the farmers' livelihoods. Um, it is more challenging than than first appears on the outside. Um, the agronomy work worked well, but there's a couple of places where um, where we we're not able to unlock those gains. One of those is in Ethiopia mm -hmm. because uh, the trees are much older there. And so they don't respond as easily in, in, in some countries um, just doing the agronomy training without any investment on the part of the farmer, without any investing in fertilizer or anything like that, you can get these yield increases. And that was the intent to design a program where what farmers have is they have passion and they have, they, um, you know, they have their hands, they can work that what they don't have necessarily is a whole lot of spare cash to risk on, on new investments. Imports. Trans, but if we could trans, uh, transfer knowledge and then they could work on their farms and get yield increases, um, then, um, you know, then, then you could get a path out of poverty. In fact, I was, I was in Rwanda um, a couple of years ago and, and went back to meet a farmer who, who had been part of that, that Gates project back in 2007. And um, and I said, how you know how's it gone? They, they they were earning about eighty dollars a year, they, and I think a tenth of a hectare probably when wow. they started. And um, uh, I said, did you um, you know how's it going? She said, good. I said, did you manage to get your kids through um, through elementary school? Because it's it's about you know ten or twenty dollars a year for for even though it's free, you still there's still some costs for parents, mm -hmm. and then. Secondary education is even more. Maybe it's a couple hundred dollars a year per child, and of course, college is even more. It's like five hundred dollars. Mm. Um, so I said, "Were well, you were able to get uh, any of your kids through through secondary school?" She said, "Oh yeah, no, they're they're all they've all gone through secondary school." Uh, she said, "You know, they, they go to university." And I said, "How are they going to university? You know, it's like eighty dollars a year. University is five hundred a year." I said, "Well, we you know we 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 absorb the knowledge. We." We took action. Uh, yields went up, uh, so that was exciting. Uh, so then we went back and really scoured everything that had been transmitted to us, and really implemented it. You know, to to the fullest, uh, 110 percent um, energy. And so then the yields went up even more because wow. the average. But if you do everything really, really well, then the yield potential is 300 percent, 400 percent. So suddenly there's there. Um, their yields were up maybe 300 percent i said well that's great but that's still not really enough to get your kids through um, university mm. uh, no but we then we had so much money that we could buy another piece of land so then that doubled again <sighs> so then 300 percent became 600 percent um and then we had enough money for the first two to go to um uh to go to college to study i think uh i think it was medicine i think uh, wow um so she was studying um, 
And I said, okay. And he said, but then, but once the first one was in university, well, well, then it be, sort of became the expectation of the younger kids. And so the mm. older sibling, mentally, that everything sort of shifts. You know, it's sort of like, well, I guess, I guess we'll go in college. So that sort of changes their approach to schooling and education, and they're working hard. And so then the second one um, performed really well academically and got a free ride, got a scholarship. Uh, so that paid for the second one. And then by the time the third one's going to come along, the first child will have finished. And so then that, that money can be applied to the third. And, and um, she said, it's going to be tight, but yeah, you know, we'll, we'll have to um, you know, tighten the belt here and there, but we're pretty comfortable. We'll be able to get all the kids through. Oh, which wow. Extraordinary. Um, but uh, so that's the, that's the model of, of, um, of agronomy. And, and again, we, we're not trying to get, 300% yield increase for everyone. But if we do it with 10,000 farmers, our expectation is that some farmers will, will not implement, some will um, implement to some degree, and some will be uh, just, just absolute rock stars and, and implement everything to an extraordinary degree. Can I, um, can I ask you on that? When you have intentional problem solving like this, very clearly you've just demonstrated a story where your solutions were met with the grit of somebody who wanted the problem solved and were prepared to show up and match your efforts. How often does that happen? Is that the, the, the standard kind of experience that you guys have or is that not so much the standard? Um, yeah, I think uh, the, the, the very first day I started with uh, – well, the first week I started with um, TechServe back in 2003, I flew to El Salvador and um, and I met some farmers who were, who were very similar to, to ones I just described. They're just extraordinarily committed. Um, they, had, uh, they had endured a lot in their life. They showed me the bomb crater. Um, wow. Where a, a fighter jet had come hunting for them um, because... Um, in you know in in all that there's a war always somewhere uh, going on in the coffee world but uh, at a point in the past um there had been uh the decision that the that the um that the rebel the guerrilla army was being supported by the whole rural landscape and so the way to drain the swamp was to actually target individual rural households so they they knew that if they heard the scream of the jet they they needed to run so they ran and and a, and a fighter jet with wow. a, I kind of imagine how much a, a missile cost for a fighter jet took, took out their little, uh, their little one bedroom hut. So the, the hole is still there, but they've just carried on and they just rebuilt uh, next to it. Rebuilt and, and charging. And, um, uh, and I, and, and so the, the, the staff member who was showing me around, I said, how did you, how do you find these guys? Like they are literally, you know, they're, they're up at four in the morning and they're just they're just soaking up like a sponge and enthusiastic and implementing everything. I said, how did you how did you find these guys? And they said, well, it was, it was pretty easy. We we came to the village and we said, you know, we're here, we're going to do a project um, and um, and we're here to help. Uh, so anyone who um, anyone who wants to uh, who wants help come to the come to the town hall tonight at o'clock everyone from 10 miles around comes because wow 
free app, there might be a free t-shirt, uh, who knows, but there's, there's something on offer. And the team stood up and said, well, here's the bad news. He said, there's no hats, there's no free lunches, there's no free sodas. Um, and if you if you work with us, you'll probably have to work harder than you've worked before. Um, but we, we will promise you there's, there's higher income um, at the end of this. Uh, and we'll be back again tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. And then the next night, there's a much, much smaller group um, in the room. And uh, and these two guys had come early before the meeting started to get them to talk to the team. And they loitered after the meeting ended to talk to the team. And they, and they said, that's uh, that those are our guys. Um, so it's this fairly simple but very powerful idea that um, that people are quite different in um in their motivations and where they are on the adoption curve. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of projects that come in to help because they come from a high level and because it's all being crafted um, sort of on paper as opposed to spending time with people on the ground, there's a tendency to just see farmers as this big homogenous mass, you know, the coffee mm -hmm. farm. There's 12 million that are all the same. Um, but the reality is there's a lot of farmers who, who should not, uh, have worked with us you know they they might, might be an elderly widow who's had very little in the way of income and these people just stroll in you know off the horizon promising grand ideas and new approaches um that's probably a bad idea um, mm. for, for someone in that situation um to take them on that's just too risky it'd be far better to let someone else uh, do it wait two years see if it works and if it does work then implement it and by the way now you've got a, a set of people around you who actually know what to do that you could ask for help so 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 seeing the world as not not um just vanilla but there are people who uh, are either predisposed to to want to try innovation or take more risk um or they might have more resources but but start with them it's a time and time again over the last 20 years i'll i'll talk to um farmers who, who really wanted to uh, they're excited about coffee. They really uh, wanted to take on new techniques and and have that increase their incomes. And they'll say um, they'll say the turning point is the motorbike. This is when I when I start driving around on a motorbike, then my neighbours come and want to work on my farm. Right, <laughs> because that's the, the wealth kind of me the measure of wealth. Because if you've been living in a world where for the past forty years you've walked to the market. Right. And then you suddenly see that your neighbor can ride a motorbike and save two hours. That's that's a very meaningful um, change in life circumstances. And so at that point, that becomes a proof point. So you know we could show up in a in a, in a village and and talk all day, and but most people would would be very right to be mistrustful. Um, but once they see the neighbor and they see the motorbike, there's a realization of, okay, there's, there's something real going on here. And then they actually offer to, to work on the farm and, and understand these new techniques and um, and then apply themselves. And, and we very much see that as a as the natural organic process. Uh, we're, mm. we're, we're not there to just pick people. Um, You're not being saviors. Yeah, we're not, we're not trying to just go in and pick everyone the same. We're trying to find, specifically find, uh, the people who who can be those early early leaders, early adopters, early catalysts, and so I think that mentality was was probably put um, embedded in Technos very early on by the founder Ed Bullard, um, 
who, who sort of uh, he was he was a fascinating guy in his own right. Um, but he he's a young guy, and he just in the '60s he just sort of felt like he was going to do it differently, and he he, um, he he wanted to do something. He cared about poverty, and he said, "I'm uh, we're not going to give um, things away. We're just going to give knowledge." He said, "Because if you give knowledge." Um, people have to act on it. Um, but if we give these other things away, we don't know whether people are showing up to get the thing or whether they're, they're here yeah. they want to. Um, so I think that was why uh, the, that approach from betting, I think, was, was quite powerful, at least from my point of view, is very powerful in terms of its ability to uh, to have much more dramatic effects. So um, so that's that's the, the long-term process with agronomy. But that now that threads into this new... Uh, hope, which is regenerative agriculture, uh, which adds uh, a whole lot of new complex threads. One of them being you now need to understand much more about carbon in the soil, which means you have to be able to measure that. Measuring soil organic carbon, which is uh, which has everyone quite excited. They're hoping that uh, the hope is that if you do the right thing with the farm and with soil, that um, that a healthier soil will actually trap carbon at such. Mm-hmm scale that can actually make a meaningful difference to to overall uh, co2 levels um, but for that hope you realize we're going to have to work out how to measure it and it's non-trivial because you can't just measure at the surface you have to get down to 30 meters, 30 centimeters and then 50 centimeters then you have to work out how to get it to a good lab and make sure everything's standardized so that's challenge number one but challenge number two is that for all of this to work in certainly in in a few places in the coffee world you really are going to have to rejuvenate the farm you're going to have to either stump or plant and the model um the business model does not support that it 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 may well be a good thing to do in the long run um but if you stump you lose that income of that tree for um, three years and um and there isn't really a a mechanism of how um of how you will actually compensate the farmer to such degree that they'll they'll be able to undertake these things and and this is you know it's it's we're not talking about a small amount of money it's, it's mm. thousands of so um so we'll we'll sort of finish i guess this this podcast with a um uh with an unsolved question which is that is what we're working on now so that is the that is the uh that is what's in the r&d lab now is to work out given that this is very much unsolvable that it, it, how how can you get a very large amount of money get it to farmers so they can do the renovation that they would need to do if we want to unlock all of this regenerative agricultural promise um how are we actually going to make that work how what will be the financing mechanism uh, because people have been talking about financing coffee smallholders for, for mm. a long, long time. Certainly I've been talking about it from the day I walked into the industry 20 years ago. Um, but that is you go and talk to a bank and ask them how easy it is to to lend money to coffee farmers when every you know, five or six years the, the bottom drops out of the market. Um, that's a that's a very challenging business for a bank. So um, so that's going to have to be uh, reinvented. Um, and, uh, and, of course, uh, maybe in some future podcast we'll be able to come back and, and someone... Someone on my team is, is working on that, uh, working on that as we speak, and we'll, we'll have to try and find the answers. I can't wait. I'm so excited about what you guys are doing, and I'm so excited that you exist in the industry. Thank you for what you guys are doing. Um, again, folks, this is not sponsored in any way, shape, or form. I'm just a fan girl. Of, I'm a fan of people who are doing shit, and I'm not just talking about it. And from everything that I've seen about what Inveritas is doing, they're empowering people to be their own heroes 
And I'm a big fan of that behavior as well. So um, thanks for what you guys are doing. Thank you for leading the way that you're leading and for being an inspiration inspiration to people who want to be problem solvers within our industry and within our world it's a it's a it's a hopeful position to to be in so thank you for that now if people want to i guess get in contact with you or want to learn more about what inveritas is doing and how they may be able to engage with that what's the best way to do that um, yeah, so we have a, um, they, they can, on our website, they can find a, there's an email address to to reach out to us on. Um, if if people are interested in uh, working for us, then then uh, we always welcome hearing from people. We, we always need great, passionate people. Um, if for coffee uh, shops out there, small roasters, we are, as we speak, um, maybe a seventh podcast, um, we're working out. We we work with uh, the the slightly larger, um, especially roasters like the the Stumptown Intelligences. <laughs> but there's a whole passionate crowd of of um, uh, especially roasters that are at slightly smaller volume. And we we're working out how can we build a product. Part of part of what we did with our um, with our sustainability verifications, we we sort of changed the definition of what is responsible sourcing uh, because nice. we. we once we fixed all these, once we fixed all these methodological challenges, we found that there are a lot of issues out there. In fact, we've we've done a statistical sample of about seven million farms out there. I don't think we've yet found a farm that actually um, meets all thirty standards. Folks, our first on-demand workshop, "How to Become a Coffee Consultant," is now available for you to learn at your own pace for just fifty euros, and it comes with a certificate upon completion. Go to mapperforward.coffee/forward/slash/workshops or click the link in the show notes for more details. Support this podcast by supporting our sponsors. So, wow. so those are aspirational. They are not the norm for farms to do it. Uh, but we said rather than try and hold farmers to this this idealistic standard that that they cannot meet um at least we haven't found a farm yet that can that can meet it let's let's change the way we think about this issue we said so roasters we will to 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 get a sustainable sourcing claim you first have to actually have this rigorous and um an honest audit and across your supply chain so you truly understand what's going on but you actually have to invest uh, in 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 problem solving so that was new um historically mm-hmm. you Paid your money for labeling fee, you got the stamp, and you were done. We're saying you're not done when you when you've done the verification. You've got to actually commit very significant resources uh, to start to work on these issues. We don't expect you to fix every issue overnight, but we do expect you to start to work on issues, and we'll actually define based on the scale of your your operation um, what what you can do. And that's proven to be um, wildly successful. So so companies really. Um, uh, uh, because company coffee companies out there, large or small, they're, they're full of people who who care uh, care about the industry, care about farmers. It's just been very hard historically for them to work out what they can do about it. But but to, it's getting very strong response. This idea that they can go back to their companies, they can lobby these resources, um, and then actually get worked on the ground. Now the problem we hit once we get to a smaller company is they just don't have the resources mm. to go off find projects they um in every place they buy they might buy a small amount of coffee from four continents mm. and so they're not in a position where they can have a sustainability manager who can go out and you know, design projects so what we're working on now is an ability for um for 
that that those those roasters that are a little bit less volume to be able to afford to to put someone in place where we can create the the pool where they can bring um their funding and we'll construct a, a group project for them so that's that's, oh, all that's exciting so in that way all they really need to bring is is passion and and then um you know a couple of cents per pound but then they they can uh they don't have to actually create all of the internal things so so in the works, um, we're not able to launch that now because um, we've we've got a fixing got a the EU plan. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, got, <laughs> but, but for people who are interested in in Veritas, um, that's that's coming down the pipe. For those of you interested in the EU regulation, as I mentioned, we uh, are hoping to be able to engage with the EU and lay out this is how we'd like to approach the 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 problem. And we we're talking now with governments, origin governments. Um, if any origin governments are, are listening, very happy to sit down and talk to you about mm-hmm. how we propose to do this. If that can be put in place, then the EU regulation will become quite straightforward for um, exporters of any size because then they'll be able to log into a portal, they'll be able to get um, the certification they need and get it uh, and then put their shipments to Europe. Um, but so that, that's sort of the ones going on there. In terms of verification itself, um, Yes, that's uh, again at this at this moment where we're servicing um, large roasters and the uh, and those uh, specialty players that are probably um, you know of a size like a like the Stumptown Intelligentsia, but mm-hmm. uh, coming soon. That as we as we expand, we're able to uh, we're able to get deeper in the industry because we know every, we talk to so many people out there, and certainly our ideal would be to get get to the point where a single mom and pop shop. Um, and um, uh, who who is passionate about wanting to help and can say, yep, I, I want to lean into this, um, show me how it can help and, and try and make it really plug and play for them where they can where they can uh, have some satisfaction that they're contributing as part of a much larger ecosystem to, to help and protect the environment you know, for the next generation and, and helping smaller incomes. So uh, it's on our way. Uh, be patient with us, but, uh, but we, the, the team's seriously working on that as well. Thank you for solving uh and at least trying to solve all the problems that you're trying to solve. It's, uh, it, again, it's really inspiring. Folks, we will have links in the show notes for everything as well. Um, we will make sure that there's links to some of the videos that um, David referred to in previous episodes so that you can see some of the projects that they worked on. At, um, just super inspiring. David, would you do me the great honor of signing off this episode with peace, love, and peanut butter. <laughs> Before I start off, I also just want to, uh, to, to tip my hat to Lee. It's, uh, she, she was telling me in, in, in before the podcast uh, how often she's doing these and how she packages them, and, and I'm in awe of just uh, the 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 commitment and the work that it must take to to do this. But uh, but again, it's super important creating this remarkable conduit uh, and this remarkable voice for. Thank you, sir. Money. So so. I tip my hat, but with Thank that, you. let me sign off. Peace, love, and peanut butter. Have an amazing rest of your day, everyone. Thank you again, David. Bye, everyone.
Thanks for tuning in, friends. There are two ways you can support this podcast. Firstly, become a paid member of our YouTube channel. Secondly, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Both have options for exclusive ad-free content and early release content. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. The Daily Coffee Pro is produced by Map It Forward and the music you're listening to is called Run 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 off of my album Laundry After Midnight. To get older episodes of this podcast, as well as more information on Map It Forward, head to mapitforward.coffee. You can find links and more information in the show notes below. 